All right. Well, hello, everyone. I'd like to welcome you all to the latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column. So today we have a very special guest joining us, which is Rick Doherty. He is Chief of Base Stocks and Specialties Technology for ExxonMobil. So today we're planning on diving headfirst into the base stock market. So we're very appreciative to have Rick on the podcast today. Now, before we do get started, I want to remind you that you, you can subscribe to the Main Column podcast by clicking on the subscribe button that is on the podcast homepage, or you can use your smartphone by saying, hey, Google, Siri, or Alexa, subscribe me to the Main Column podcast. So with that, I'd like to welcome in Rick. So Rick, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks a lot, Lee. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you today about base stocks. Absolutely. Well, thank you for your time today. So let's go ahead and jump right in. First off, so for those people who are not familiar with base stocks, can you just provide a quick summary on the different groups of base stocks there are out there and how they're used in industry? Sure. Base stocks are the key building blocks of lubricants and greases. So a lubricant will contain between 85% base stock for highly additized engine oils, but could be over 99% for certain industrial lubricants. Base stocks are also used in non-lubricant applications, such as process oils and the manufacture of plastics. This is actually a fairly significant outlet uh, for base stocks. So the API classification system was developed in the early 1990s to be a, a framework to guide base stock interchange in vehicle engine lubricants. Originally, they were, there were three uh, base stock groups. Today, they, there are five, and they were originally devised around the feedstock and the processing that was used in the creation of the base stocks. So today, group one base stocks are crude derived. They're processed via solvent-assisted separations processes. Group two stocks are also generally crude derived and are manufactured by hydroprocessing. Group three base stocks are used in low viscosity engine oils. Uh, they're frequently derived from crude streams but they can also be derived from natural gas, chemical, or biological sources. Group four stocks are derived from linear alpha olefins and are generally used in very high performance applications. Finally, all other base stocks fall into uh, the group five category, such as esters and naphthenic base stocks. Excellent, so I guess the next follow-up question I have then would be, how have the market dynamics changed within those different groups of base stocks? I mean, are there different groups and more demand than others? And if so, why is that? Well, group, group one is challenged due to declining demand and global oversupply, even more so with the impact of IMO 2020. But there's still a need for group one base stocks in the marketplace based on their technical advantages and specific applications as well as the valuable co-products that uh, are manufactured in the production of group one, such as waxes. We recognize that uh, group two is really the heart of the lubricant market. In fact, based on ExxonMobil's assessment of publicly available information, group two is expected to become the largest segment worldwide and to make up more than half of the base stocks demand by 2030. That's why we like to say group two base stocks are the workhorse of finished lubricants, thanks to their formulation flexibility, their advantage production cost, and their broad viscosity range. 
Changing OEM requirements in advanced vehicles will continue to place pressure on automotive finished lubricant blenders and base, base stock suppliers as they demand formulations that enable longer life, higher durability, and greater efficiency. And to meet those needs, demand for high-end base stocks like Group 2, Group, group 3, and PAO will continue to increase in high-tier automotive lubricants to meet these more stringent industrial requirements. And then uh, I guess then the, the follow-up to that then would be which regions are actually showing the largest demand for base stocks? And is there a specific reason for it? Well, COVID-19 COVID has reduced uh, global demand in 2020, no question about that. Um, mature, maturing markets such as North America, Europe, China, still continue to lead in base stocks demand. These regions have um, an established industry presence. They still rely on personal methods of transportation, and all of these lead to a high base stock demand. However, developing areas like India, Indonesia, Africa, and the Middle East is really where demand is growing fastest due to growing economies and improving standards of living. And then, of course, you, of course you mentioned the, the million-dollar word there, COVID-19. Uh, we have to bring that up. And I'm kind of curious, then, how has the COVID-19 pandemic affected market demand for base stocks? Well, I mean, the COVID, uh, the pandemic has challenged every industry in, in, in the world, and the refining industry is no different. Um, base stock demand has certainly been hit by the pandemic. But we're starting to see signs of recovery as countries begin to reopen. And then what sectors are showing the most demand for base stocks? Well, increasing transportation needs, both for personal mobility as well as commercial transport, is, is really one of the, these are the key factors driving energy demand, as well as directly impacting the base stock business. Based on our annual energy outlook, overall transportation demand is expected to grow by about 25% by 2040. So let's go and jump uh, right into your expertise, Rick. So for people who don't know about this, what is the base stocks interchange? The base stock interchange in lubricant formulations can take two forms. In simple terms, the first involves adjusting the ratio of base stocks used in a lubricant to affect a change in its viscosity. So for example, an ISO viscosity grade 32 hydraulic oil can be blended with a light neutral and a medium neutral base stock. Same base stocks can be used in a different ratio to blend an ISO viscosity grade 68 of the same type of lubricant. For engine oils, changes in viscosity grade can be accomplished by adjusting the ratio of base stocks in the formulation, but also by adjusting the concentration of polymeric viscosity modifier. For example, an oil marketer might desire to use the same base stocks used in a 5W30 engine oil to blend a 10W40 grade. This would require adjusting both the ratio of the base stocks used and also the viscosity modifier concentration. The 10W40 requires a more viscous base oil and a higher viscosity modifier treat level. The second type of base stock interchange involves the substitution of a base stock or base stocks from a different manufacturer into a lubricant formulation. For example, an oil marketer might have a formulation approved and available with base stocks from supplier A and they desire to use base stocks from supplier B in the blending of the same product. 
Each of these base stock interchanges requires an approval. This can be in a formal process guided by an oil marketer's quality management system, or the approval can be accomplished through the use of published guidelines for lubricants certified by industry trade associations. Finally, some interchanges might even require formal approval from the original equipment manufacturer, which we call the OEM. Generally, all base stock interchanges are supported through some degree of bench testing. However, some interchanges require engine, rig, or even field testing. In such instances, developing approved base stock interchanges can be expensive and time consuming. And so follow up to that then is how can the base stock interchange be accomplished more quickly and more effectively? Well, the, the high cost and long time requirement for obtaining approved lubricants is most acutely felt for engine oils. This owes to the large number of engine oil viscosity grades and also to the large number of engine tests required for an approval. With each new engine oil specification, the number of engine tests has either stayed the same or increased over the past few decades. In fact, it's been estimated that the cost to improve in a passenger vehicle engine lubricant has increased sixfold over the past 30 years. The increase for a heavy duty diesel lubricant is closer to tenfold. And one single passenger vehicle engine test averages around $50,000 with diesel tests running up to three times higher cost. So with the introduction of the API engine oil licensing and certification system in 1992, it was believed by the industry stakeholders that engine lubricants needed to be introduced to the marketplace quickly, soon after specifications were introduced and cost effectively. Given that there's a finite engine testing capacity in the industry and that these tests are expensive, reducing the number of engine tests needed to qualify formulations was believed to be critical to meeting really the industry goal of broadly available, relevant products in the marketplace. So the API system created guidelines for what we call reading of passing engine tests to other viscosity grades with the same base stocks or to formulations using base stocks from a different slate, generally from a different manufacturer. The former method of interchange is termed viscosity grade read across. The industry terms this VGRA. Well, the second method of interchange is termed BOI or base oil interchange. And when I use the term read, um, what a read simply means is that a passing test in a particular formulation that can be read to or considered as a passing result in, a, in an alternative formulation. Application of viscosity grade read across can reduce testing costs by nominally two to five times as a, a passing test generally in a lower viscosity grade can be read to multiple higher viscosity grades. On the other hand, the use of BOI interchange guidelines can have even a more dramatic impact on oil qualification costs, as a passing test could be read to many other base stock slates in the same API base stock group. Ultimately, the use of base stock interchange guidelines is a risk-based decision owned by the oil marketer. Dramatic reduction in engine testing costs for formulation qualification is possible 
through the use of industry-developed guidelines. But it should be emphasized that some bench testing support is still necessary and that the vehicle OEMs might have more restrictive rules for interchange relative to industry trade associations. For certain types of lubricants, such as high-tier driveline fluids, OEMs don't permit any type of base stock interchange. Each formulation is required to meet bench rig and sometimes field test, test criteria in order to be qualified. Now, what are some of those potential consequences if the interchange guidelines aren't being applied consistently? Oh, I, I believe there are three potential detrimental outcomes associated with inconsistent application of interchange guidelines, whether they be developed by industry trade associations or by the OEMs. And the first is what I would say the, uh, the outcomes related to the consumer. Inappropriate application of interchange guidelines could result in an underperforming lubricant relative to product claims. Examples could be that an oil degrades more rapidly in service, resulting in the need for more frequent oil changes, or it could deliver lower than expected fuel economy benefits. Essentially, the customer of the oil does not receive the performance level that they paid for. The second outcome is what I would say would uh, uh, would, would be that to the OEM. Um, and from the OEM's perspective, inappropriate application of the guidelines could result in underperforming lubricants leading to excessive warranty claims. And in the most extreme case, into the brand deterioration of, uh, of, of the OEM's product. And finally, to the oil marketers, I think inconsistent application of interchange guidelines presents product representation and performance risk primarily, but it can also lead to uh, a non-level competitive environment where some marketers follow these interchange guidelines and others employ liberal interpretations to reduce formulation costs. So three potential detrimental outcomes that I see. Now, you did talk a little bit about tests earlier. So are steps being taken in industry to develop base stock performance specific tests? Can you just get a little bit more detail on that? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think if you look at the industry, the trend to increasing power density in industrial equipment and engines, coupled with the trend towards um, the use of lower viscosity lubricants to improve, improve fuel economy, um, place increased stress on oxidative stability and deposit resistance of lubricants. These properties are strongly influenced by the base stocks used in that lubricants. And when the demands of their equipments change, the OEMs um, have very frequently considered developing new tests to understand oil durability and new systems. This isn't really a common occurrence for industrial lubricants. However, we have seen new rig tests to measure oxidation and deposit resistance developed over the past few years by key hydraulic and gear manufacturers. Certainly the introduction of IMO 2020 and new lubricants designed specifically for low sulfur fuels led one marine engine builder to develop, to develop a deposit test uh, on neat base oil, which they believe translates to formulated lubricant performance in their engines. Really where we see um, a, a lot of uh, performance test development is in uh, the area of engine lubricants. So engine, evolving engine designs lead to new engine tests. 
have led to new engine tests measuring oxidation stability. Recent examples are the sequence 3H test used in the API SP and ILSAC GF6 specifications, and the General Motors oxidation and deposit test used in the General Motors DEXO specification. Also notable have been new bench oxidation tests, which have been developed as surrogates for engine tests. So several years ago, the CEC L109 bench oxidation test was introduced as a requirement for oils complaining compliance um, to the ASEA standards, which are owned by a consortium of uh, European OEMs. And then Daimler introduced a bench oxidation test for their own standard. Both the L109 and Daimler bench oxidation tests are strongly impacted by base oil composition. So let's talk a little bit about OEMs now. I'm kind of curious, so why are OEMs developing their own uh, specs? I mean, and of course, what are the positives and what are the negatives for that? Well, as engines become increasingly complex, some OEMs have become um, uh, increasingly concerned that industry-derived lubricant specifications are a lot less relevant to their particular engine designs. Additionally, Sometimes OEMs desire just a, a higher level of performance of, uh, uh, for, for particularly for their branded lubricants than uh, what's provided by industry specifications. And these considerations have led OEMs to introduce their own specifications. Actually, this is really common for European vehicle OEMs. Creating specific standards that they believe are unique to their engines and, and specific interchange guidelines gives OEMs more control over what base stocks and additives are used in their engine oils. And that's, that's perceived as a positive by the OEMs. While adhering to specific OEM standards allows oil marketers to differentiate their products in the marketplace, it can bring additional formulation complexity and costs should OEM specified engine oils become mutually exclusive to each other. This complexity can limit the, uh, the availability of these oils in the marketplace, can increase the risk of misapplication. Both of those are negatives for both the OEM as well as the consumer. And are there commonalities you're seeing among the various engine oil specs that are being released by OEMs? Yeah, I'd say for, for all types of equipment manufacturers, oil life and equipment production against wear and contamination are key drivers for, for new specifications. If you uh, look specifically at engine builders, they're highly focused on fuel economy. I'd say that this is the key driver for new engine lubricant specifications. Uh, emissions control and compatibility with after-treatment devices, also extremely important to, uh, to engine OEMs. New engine designs can produce, uh, can place uh, different new demands on lubricants resulting in new tests and specifications. You know, one example was the use of exit gas recirculation diesel engines. This happened about two, two decades ago. This in, uh, led to increased levels of soot in the lubricant and an engine test was developed to measure uh, the lubricant's cap capability for preventing and dispersing this soot. More recent example has been the trend to uh, gasoline direct injection engines and passive passenger vehicles. These engines are favored by many OEMs. They deliver high performance at good fuel economy. How, however, they can experience um, 
pre-ignition events. So for, for folks who remember driving um, carbureted engines back in the, the 1970s and 1980s and experienced knocking, uh, pre-ignition is similar to that knocking, um, except it happens in, um, in an unpredictable fashion and can have catastrophic consequences to the engine. So new tests have been developed by multiple OEMs to guide lubricant design to minimize or to eliminate those pre-ignition occurrences. And how are other base stock suppliers responding to this trend? Well, the response of base stock manufacturers is complex, frankly, and not entirely driven by lubricant trends. The economics of feedstock flexibility, fuel quality, fuel production, all have major influence on refining investments, even if base stocks are key outputs of a particular refinery. Fortunately, the drives to high quality, low sulfur fuels and increased diesel production are compatible with the refining technology, technologies used to produce uh, high quality base stocks. Virtually all refining investment that produces base stocks today is based on hydroprocessing with low sulfur fuels as key byproducts. The feedstock in the operation of hydroprocessing trains used primarily for base stock production can be varied to meet the quality needs of the industry as specifications as they advance. Um, so as the demand for lower viscosity, lower volatility engine oils increases, existing hydroprocessing plants have adapted to produce base stocks meeting these new specifications. Frankly, all new capacity is aimed at the production of low viscosity, low volatility base stocks. High tier API group two, sometimes you'll see these marketed as group two plus, and API group three base stocks are playing a larger role than ever before in engine lubricant formulations. With the broader availability of high quality group two, Lubricant formulations traditionally using solid refined API group one base stocks, such as industrial lubricants and marine engine oils have been adapted to accommodate group two. While group one base stocks might still be the preferred choice, choice by marketers and OEMs for these applications, advances in additive technologies have resulted in good field performance with group two base stocks. All right, so I got one last one for you, and it goes back to the OEMs developing their own specs. So I'm curious, how do you see that impacting the wider industry standard adoptions uh, going forward? Well, th this is a subject the industry talks about. Um, my perspective is that there hasn't really been a proliferation or a recent proliferation of OEM specifications uh, in some markets and for some applications. However, OEM specifications will really play a key role in lubricant marketing and use. Well, in some other markets and applications, industry specifications will dominate lubricant choice. So for example, uh, an example of the latter is if you think of the Chinese heavy duty OEMs, which represent 95% of the China market, along with key uh, industry stakeholders, these OEMs are in the process of creating an industry specification for the Chinese market which will be applied to engines for, and lubricants from uh, all the major Chinese OEMs. 
The concern with OEM specifications really is that if they become mutually exclusive, this would make it very difficult for the industry um, to develop standards which could be supported by the OEMs. But one thing is clear, um, it's that flexibility by, from base stock manufacturers, oil marketers, and additive producers will be needed more than ever in the future. Base stock manufacturers with a broad, broad product offer will be the ones best suited to meet the increasingly complex needs of the oil marketers and the evolving OEM requirements. Well, Rick, hey, we really, we really sincerely want to thank you for your time today and providing the listeners with a lot more information about the important base stocks market. I know you taught me several items I had no idea about base stocks. So we really, really want to thank you again for your time. Um, and of course, we really want to thank all of you for listening to Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column. So please check out the podcast uh, website for postings on the latest podcast uh, that are coming up. Thanks again. Thanks very much, Lee.